But again, welcome to First Baptist Church this morning and to all of our graduates. We're super, super proud of you and we pray God's best for you in this next chapter of your life and season of your life as well. Uh, probably most of us in this room have been in a cemetery at some point. You walk into a cemetery and you see a lot of headstones. Most of those headstones have something in common. There's going to be a date of birth and then there's a dash and there's a date of death. The dash represents the person's life. Ever how many years that person lived his or her life, that's what that dash represents. As we think about the finish line, you and I, because we have a birthday, we know where the start line is. You and I are living the dash, and one day, we don't know where it's at, we're going to come to the finish line. There'll be a date of death on there as well. Even though we don't know where that finish line is at, we serve a Heavenly Father who is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He knows where the finish line is at for each and every single one of us. Truth of the matter is, we think sometimes the finish line could be way down the road, but the truth of the matter could be fairly close. We just don't know. That's why the Bible is going to be clear that we need to make the most of our days. We need to be careful how we live because God cares how we live. We should care how we live as well. And we need to make sure that we live every single day seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. If we're going to finish well. I did something the other day. It was kind of fun. I took a life expectancy test online. Anybody ever done that? You, you go in there and you find these websites and you put in your family history and they ask you about how much you exercise and what your diet is like and then they give you a calculation and it says how many more years you have to live. I don't rely on that at all because only one who knows that. But, but I've got several years to live yet and as I think about coming to the finish line, I want to make sure that I live faithful to Jesus Christ each and every day of my life because I want to finish life well, just like you. This morning, we're going to be talking about Isaiah's life. And I want to give you three words. They're not on your outline. I encourage you to write these down because if we're going to finish well, these words need to be essential to who we are as we think about the life of Isaiah, but also your life and my life. So here are these three words. If we're going to finish well. First word is redeemer. If you're going to finish well, you need to have a personal relationship with the redeemer who is Jesus Christ. You and I need to know this. There are not three redeemers in life. There are not two redeemers in life. There is one redeemer in life. There's only one name above all names by which we must be saved. And our redeemer lives and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the redeemer. And so I challenge you today in this room or watching to make sure if you're going to finish life well, make sure you have a personal, intimate, growing relationship with the Redeemer who is Jesus Christ. Don't come to your last breath outside of a relationship with him. Second word is the word relationships. If you and I are going to come to the finish line and we're going to finish well, we need to focus on relationships. And a part of that would be, are there any relationships in your life that are tension-filled, any relationships strained, any relationships that need to be reconciled or restored? I encourage you to pray now for those relationships and say, God, I do not want to come to the finish line and have relationships that still need to be reconciled and restored. Ask God what you need to do or what you need to say to see those rec relationships reconciled and restored before you come to the finish line. So you get redeemer, relationships. Third word, regrets. 
I just encourage you, don't come to the finish line of your life with regrets. And to say, if only I'd have done that, if I should have done that. Come to the finish line, faithful, regret-free in your life. And here's what I mean by that. One day you're going to leave something behind. Are you going to leave behind stuff or are you going to leave behind memories? I challenge you, don't leave those who come behind you just stuff. Leave behind memories to those who are going to come after you. Here's what I mean by that. Dr. Jim Henry years ago challenged me in this as we were having a conversation. He was talking about his kids, but also his grandkids. And he said, we have made a commitment that when we come to the finish line, we're not going to give them stuff in life, but we're going to give them memories. So, so a lot of their inheritance that they may have received, we're going to use that building relationships with our kids and grandkids, making memories with them. That way, when we cross the finish line, we'll leave them some stuff, but they're going to have great memories to remember us by because we invested time with the people whom we love in life. I challenge you, come to the finish line regret-free. And what does that mean? Don't just leave people stuff. Leave people memories. What I mean by that is invest significant quality time of your life in the lives of people whom you love in life. You'll come to the finish line well. That way there's a, there's a date of birth, there's this dash, and then there's this date of death when you cross the finish line and you, you've left memories, you've been faithful to Christ, relationships are what they need to be and then one day you stand before the king of kings and lord of lords and you hear him say well done good and faithful servant what a great way to finish life now today i want to walk through isaiah chapter six it's one of the significant passages in god's word about the call of god and when i think about graduates i think about the rest of us what is god calling us to do in life when he calls what is our response going to be are we going to obey him or not and so i want to look at this and i pray you could say now but at the end of this message lord here i am you send me let's walk through this look at number one hunger to see god what are you hungry for in life Probably some of us would say barbecue. I mean, I'm hungry for barbecue. We're going to have some for lunch here in just in a few moments. Some of you could say I'm hungry, hungry to know the direction of God for my life. I just don't know what direction I'm going. I'm hungry to know what that is. Others of you might say I'm hungry for truth and righteousness. And then others could say I'm just hungry to see somebody. Hunger to see God. Uh, I've been able to see a lot of people in life. Ainge and I one time were in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. We were sitting in the morning having breakfast in, in a golf course clubhouse. Can you imagine that? And so we, we get to know the golf professional. He's from Virginia, and he was in Cabo San, San Lucas, Mexico. How did you get from Virginia to here? And, and we were talking faith issues as well. And so he came back, and he said, are, are you in a hurry? And I said, we have no plans I mean, our next plan is going to be eating some Mexican food somewhere before the day's out. So we have no, no plans. And he said, if you can just stay here for a little bit, Rocky is getting ready to come into the clubhouse and you'll be able to see him. And I said, Rocky, are you talking about Sylvester Sloan? He said, yeah, he's getting ready to come in. I told him, well, I want to see him. My goodness, yes. Let's stay here and see him. So sure as anything here, Rocky comes in. He's not as big as you think he would be. And so I had to get up and go over there and kind of introduce myself and have just a word with him just for a moment. But we got to see Rocky in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. 
And those of us who just got back from Rio just a, a week ago, we, we wanted to see at the end of our mission trip, just kind of a fun day, we wanted to go to a very significant place in Rio, Christ the Redeemer statue. We wanted to see the statue that looks over the city of Rio representing Christ the Redeemer. But the good news is he's not just a statue. He is victorious over death and the grave. Our Redeemer lives. Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. Uh, about three weeks ago, Taylor Swift was coming through Nashville. And, and I was watching the news. I, I looked also on StubHub. And can, can you imagine how much money people are paying for tickets to go see this concert? It's unbelievable how much hotel rooms are costing. And so there, there were people coming from all over the country traveling into Nashville to see Taylor Swift. And as uh, news reporters were doing stories about all that was happening in Nashville and about this Taylor Swift concert over three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they were interviewing people who traveled in from a long ways to come to Nashville, Tennessee to see her in concert. And I was watching one of the news broadcasts and one of the reporters was asking this young woman to say, why in the world did you travel from a various place in the country to come all the way to Nashville, Tennessee to be here for this concert? And here's what this young woman said. She said, I came all the way, and I think she was from California. She said, I came all the way from California here to Nashville. And here's her quote. She said, because I want to be in Taylor Swift's presence. And the Holy Spirit convicted me. And to say, here is a young woman traveling all the way from the West Coast to Nashville, Tennessee. Her desire is to be in the presence of Taylor Swift. How many of us desire to be in the presence of Jesus Christ? Not an entertainer, not a celebrity or an athlete, but the King of Kings and Lord of Lords the very one who lived a perfect sinless life and died on a cross and gave his life victorious over death in the grave who is alive and one day who's coming again. Lord, I live my life to be in your presence. I want you to write these three words down. Number one is tragedy. Isaiah 6, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. If you put yourself in Isaiah's shoes, this was a tragedy for him. It was a period of uncertainty for him because King Uzziah had been ruling for 52 years and all of a sudden instability was facing them as a nation but also as individuals. And so here's this tragedy happening in the life of the nation but also in the life of Isaiah because King Uzziah, someone who had given stability and leadership, he has died. What is going to happen next? Here's how God often works. There are times, he was in times of tragedy, storms, uncertainty in our lives to do what? To get our attention. How many people are going through a storm right now in your life? Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a heart-related issue. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe there's some other, other family situation going on or a financial situation going on, but you're in a time of tragedy. You're in a time of adversity or storm. What is God wanting to do? He's wanting to get your attention. Many times God will use those storms to get our attention so that we can focus upon him. Look at the second word, decisions. In the year that King Uzziah died, what happened? The Bible says, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He made a decision that when life got difficult, 
When times were uncertain, he didn't run from God. He ran to God. He ran to the temple. And in the temple, he saw what? The presence of God. Not only did he see the presence of God, but he heard God's messengers talking about God. And what did they say? They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. He saw the Lord and he heard the messengers of God talking about the Lord as well. Well, when you find yourself in a storm, you find yourself facing adversity, you find yourself in a period of uncertainty, you're going to make a decision. You're going to run to him or you're going to run away from him. I challenge you this morning, run to him. Run to him, embrace him, receive him, surrender your life to him. Don't run away from him. To say, I'm going to run away from the presence of God. I don't like the storm, the adversity, the trial. I don't like the setback. I don't like the uncertainty. I'm going to run away from him. Here's what happens. Many people, when those things happen to them in life, whether they be kids, students, adults, they run from God and they run to a bottle or to a relationship. And can I say to you, when you do those things, storms come to us all, adversities come to us all, Tense times come to us all. When you run from God and you run to a bottle or to a relationship, can I say those are dead in streets for you and me? They're dead in. Run to him. And that's what Isaiah is doing in the midst of uncertainty and a, a tragic time in his life. He runs to the temple of God and he sees the holiness of God and he hears about the greatness of God as well. Make a decision when life starts unraveling, comes apart, run to him, run to him, run to him. And then number three, places. Uh, for Isaiah, he was able to see the holiness of God and the greatness of God. We're at in the temple. Uh, Where are you and I going to see God at? Well, naturally, we're going to see God in the pages of the Bible because the Word of God is in it. It's an air and it's infallible. It's authoritative. It's true from Genesis to Revelation. This is God-breathed. It's living and active. It's never going to return void. We see our Heavenly Father in the pages of God's Word. We also see our Heavenly Father in creation. We, we don't worship the creation. We see him. Why? Because it didn't just happen. It was not some big bang. It is almighty God who created this world and given you and me life. We see God in the midst of mountains and oceans and all the other landscape we see. It's almighty God. We even see God working in the lives of other people. I love to see God at work in this church. I love to see God at work in the lives of other people. But we see the hand of God at work in the lives of people. Again, we don't worship people. We don't worship creation. We worship God and him alone. But we see the handiwork of God before us. And it's not one time we're camping in Yosemite National Park in California. As you know, the time difference, so I get up very early in the mornings anyway, so I was up early in the morning, and we were tent camping. Those were the days we did that. We haven't done that in a while, but we were tent camping. And so we unzipped the tent, and I I step outside, and I look up into the night sky, and there were millions upon millions what seemed like stars in the sky. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. And so I'm standing outside the tent, probably 3 a.m. in the morning, their time, maybe even a little bit early, and I faced a dilemma, a situation. What am I going to do? Am I going to enjoy the creation of God and to worship him by myself, or am I going to wake Angie up at 3 a.m. and say, you need to come out here and see this? Well, I woke her up at 3 a.m. in the morning and said, you need to come out here and see this. 
So Angie gets out of the tent. We stand outside this tent, looking up into the night sky and realizing that didn't just happen. That is the work of God right before our eyes. And here's the amazing thing. God put those stars in place and God knows each of those stars by name. And so we stood outside that tent that morning, Yosemite National Park. We did not worship those stars. We did not worship creation, but we worshiped the one who created them. We worshiped the Lord God Almighty. We see God. We're in tragedy, but also in decisions we make and in places. Isaiah, in the midst of, the light, in the midst of his life, it's a tragic time. He made a wise decision into the temple where he saw the holiness of God, but also it was in the temple that he saw God. Make sure again, when tragedy comes, you have a hunger to see God and you run to him with all of your life. Number two, agree to confess sin. Now, if I ask you this morning for you, how many of you have perfect vision? Uh, there'd be many people, I mean, research says about half of Americans have almost perfect vision in life. Uh, but, but most of us in life, we, we don't have that because we may wear glasses or contacts or we may have surgery. I had LASIK surgery many, many years ago, worked fine for a time, but the older you get, doesn't seem to work as well. But, but, but we, we look and we need something to help us to see well in life. Let me ask you today. If I ask you about your physical vision, you'd give me an insight to that. But let me ask you, how is your spiritual vision in your life? What do you see? Here Isaiah is. He's going to find himself in the temple of God. And in the midst of all the tragedies going on in his life, he finds himself seeing the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. The seraphim each had six wings, two covered us, did that. They were crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you realize you can't contain the glory of God in life? The Bible says, Isaiah said, the whole earth is full of his glory. That's what the angelic messengers were saying. So when we think about the glory of God, we long to see the glory of God fall in his place because the glory of God is evident around us, happening all over the world. I mean, God is on the move. The Holy Spirit is changing the lives of people around the world. And so when Isaiah finds himself here and he sees the greatness of God and the holiness of God, what does he see next? He sees himself. He's not comparing himself to somebody else. He's not trying to identify with somebody else. He just sees the greatness and the holiness of God. And then he sees himself. And what does he do? Write these words down. Number one, spiritual conviction. What does he say? He says, God, here's the conviction part. He says, I, woe is me for I am lost and I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What is Isaiah saying? God, when I see your holiness... Conviction comes to my life, and God, I am lost, I am sinful, and I live among a group of sinful people in life as well. When is the last time the Holy Spirit has convicted you in your life? Convicted you that you were lost without a personal relationship with Christ? Convicted you that you had been disobedient to him by how you lived your life or by what you said. Convicted you that you had not surrendered everything to him at all. Convicted you that you had been practicing casual, nominal Christianity in the Christian life. When's the last time the Holy Spirit has convicted you in your life? And here Isaiah is in the temple of God, seeing the holiness of God. He is convicted of his sin and the sins of people around him. 
And if we're going to see God work, if we're going to see God move in this generation among graduates and those who come behind them and those who have already gone before them, we need to realize spiritual conviction is a good thing because God is changing our lives. Number two, biblical truth. Truth of the matter is, not only did Isaiah say he was lost, not only did he say he was sinful, not only did he say that others around him were sinful, but we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is you, that is me. We have all sinned when we compare ourselves to the glory and the holiness of God. Then third word, personal brokenness. In the midst of his brokenness, he confessed his sin and the sins of other people because he is willing to agree with God and say, God, I agree, I've sinned against you, we've sinned against you, and God, we need a fresh new start. God, we're messed up, our lives are coming apart, and God, we need you to do a work in our lives only you can do. There was a family who went to Florida on vacation, had a five-year-old boy, never been to Florida before. And they go to the beach, and he's out on the beach, and he's in the sun, and you know what happens. Stays out in the sun a little too long, not enough sunscreen. He gets a severe sunburn like he'd never had before in his life, only five years old. A few days later, he looks at his skin, and something weird is happening to his skin. And you know what it is? He starts to peel away. He goes to his mother, and he says, Mom, I'm only five years old, and I'm already coming apart. <laughs> I, mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's brokenness in life. Some of us, one of the greatest things we could do today is that the Holy Spirit moves and convicts us is to say, God, I know how holy you are. I know how much you love me. I know you gave your one and only son to die on a cross and to give his life and to shed his blood for me. And Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. I am lost before you. I need forgiveness and a brand new start. God, we need your forgiveness in life. And you watch God work when we agree with him and confess sin. God moves. Number three, pray f- to experience forgiveness. Now, is forgiveness cheap? Not at all. Here's why it's not cheap, because the Bible says we've been bought with a price. And the price is what? It's the very life of Jesus Christ. Yes, he left heaven and he came to this earth. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died a horrific death on a cross. He shed his blood. He gave everything for you and for me. Buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, Jesus Christ is alive. So forgiveness is not cheap. Is forgiveness easy? No, it's not easy. But is forgiveness possible? Absolutely, it's possible. And let me give you why. Number one, Jesus' death. It's possible because Jesus was willing to die for you and for me. See, if we want to go from here to there, It's possible because he came from there to here and he gave his life for you and for me. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ died for you and for me. He was atoned. He was atoned for our sins. He gave his life for you and for me. Number two, God's grace. As you and I think about the life of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, that is God's unmerited favor. His grace is amazing, still changing the lives of people. You don't deserve it. You'll never earn it, but it's a free gift of God in Christ. His grace is amazing and marvelous. The grace of God. Number three is our freedom. 
When you understand the death of Jesus Christ and you experience his amazing grace that allows you to live free in this life, and what does that mean is you come to the finish line of your life, you don't come with regrets, you don't come with, with say, I should have done something else, you come free. Why? Because in Jesus Christ there is freedom in him. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You should know the truth, and the truth has set you free. If you want to live a free life and come to the finish line well, trust Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection in your life. Experience forgiveness. Number four, decide to surrender all. I I, I was thinking back over this message, and I I look back in my life, and, and I think about the day I graduated high school. Uh, many graduations in my life from high school to college to seminary to doctoral work, uh, lots of graduations. But when I think about graduating high school and think what in the world is before me, I I mean, I I could never imagine when I graduated high school what God would call me to do in life and how God would lead me in life. I had no understanding of that at that period of my life. And that's why I just encourage graduates in the room and those who are watching, never, never limit what God wants to do in your life. I mean, you may have these plans, you may have these agendas, you may think how this is all going to unfold and this is what you're going to do in life, but be open for what God wants to do in your life because God may take your life in a totally different direction that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. That's how God works. Be willing to follow the leadership of God. In this story, Isaiah has confessed his sin, the sins of people around him. Then one of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand. He touched his mouth and said, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. That had to be extremely, extremely painful. I can't even begin to comprehend. If I burn the tip of my finger, how painful, painful that is. And the Bible says this live coal was taken from the altar and it touched his lips. His guilt was taken away, his sin atoned for. You and I can't comprehend how gruesome and how humiliating and painful the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ was for you and for me. Folks, I can't comprehend what it's like to have nails driven into your hands and feet. I can't comprehend what it's like to have a crown of thorns pressed over your head. I can't comprehend what it's like to have a spear piercing your side so your blood is flowing from a cross. I can't understand that, but that's how much God loves you and me. That's the price Jesus Christ was willing to pay for you and me. He paid it all on Calvary's cross so you and I could experience the grace of God and be free in the life, but also in the Christian life. He did that for you and for me. And so as I think about this idea of surrendering all, why would I try to hold on to my life? Why would I try to live for my agenda and plans? Why wouldn't I come before a holy God who has forgiven me in Christ? My sins have been atoned for because of the death of Jesus Christ. He has set me free, promised me I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Why wouldn't I come before him as a graduate, but any person in life with open hands and say, God, because you've given me so much, I surrender all to you. I give it all to you. And here's what God often would do. He will often call you and me to tough places and tough assignments. When I look back at the call of God on my life, high school graduation would have never imagined what God was going to do in my life. 
But I look back and say, God, you've called me to some tough assignments, some tough places in ministry. But God, I wouldn't trade any of those things because in the midst of those, we've been able to see your holiness, your glory. And God, we've been able to see you at work. It's the work of God. These three statements. One, God's invitation. In the midst of tragedy, Isaiah, he, he ran to the temple. And he saw the holiness of God and he saw his sin and the sins of people around him. He confessed his sin and he experienced God's forgiveness, the atonement of his sins. He is a free, changed man. And then he hears God's invitation. And what, is, what does the Lord say? And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? It is God's invitation to Isaiah. But graduates and to the rest of us, God is still speaking an invitation. Will you give your life to my son? Will you follow me before other people? Will you live courageous and not ashamed of me in life? When I call you to go this direction in life, will you obey me? Will you follow me? Will you surrender everything of your life to me? Will you lay your life down and be my servant wherever I lead you in life? Will you say yes when I call you in life? He's still inviting you and me to follow him. Are you hearing God's voice? That's why we want to give a book, How to Listen to God. Why? Because Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord. These graduates, you and me, we need to make sure we know how to hear the voice of God because God, I don't want to just go any way I want to in life. God, what do you want me to do? I want to surrender to you. God, you say yes, and I'm willing to follow you. God, what do you want to do in my life? Number two, tough assignments. Don't be surprised if God calls you to a tough assignment. We're living in tough days. These are not easy days, but they're wonderful days because God's given us a platform to make much of Jesus Christ. We can push back spiritual darkness because we have God's word, the Holy Spirit, and we have gospel truth in Jesus Christ. And as we think about that, some tough assignments, he gave Isaiah what's going to be unfolded, a tough, tough assignment. But also when you look at the life of Abraham, you think it was easy in Genesis 22 when God said to Abraham, I want you to go up on Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. You think it was an easy assignment? Not at all. But here's what Isaiah experienced. Here's what Abraham experienced. Here's what you and I are going to experience. God, at the right moment, here's what's going to happen. The Lord will provide. He did it for them. He'll do it for you and me. But God may call you to a tough Assignment Number three is personal worship. And what did Isaiah say? Then I said, here I am, send me. That's personal worship. At the heart of worship is Jesus Christ. But as you and I think about worship, one of the indicators whether we've worshiped him or not is are we going to obey him or not? It's not that we sing the right songs, did the sermon last the right length, but did we obey him or not? He's given an invitation. Sometimes that invitation is to a tough assignment, but also he wants us to worship, and that means to say, Lord, here I am, you send me. We don't come before him and say, God, send the pastor. God, God send some of our staff. God, send some of the deacons. God, send some of my connect group leaders. God, send some of the other people who are in my section. 
You don't say those things. You come before God and you say, God, I hear your voice. I understand your invitation. And you've got this plan and purpose and direction for my life. And God is a graduate or any person in life. I stand before you and just say, God, here I am. You send me. And you let God work in your life. He'll take you to places you could have never imagined going. He'll use you in ways you could have never comprehended. And he'll give you peace that this world simply cannot give. This world's not going to give you peace. There's peace, but it's in the Prince of Peace. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Here I am, send me. Let's bow together as we pray. Uh, today as we pray in the room and those who are watching I want to encourage you today to surrender your life to him maybe you're going through a time of tragedy maybe life seems to be coming apart maybe life has taken a turn you never expected you need to run to him today don't run from him run to him Embrace him, receive him, confess him. And then as you see him, you see your own sin. And maybe in this room and watching, you need to confess your sin. You may just need to say like Isaiah, I'm lost. Well, that means I don't have a relationship with Christ. I'm, I'm lost. I may be graduating or may, maybe going in a different chapter in life, but, but I'm lost. I spiritually don't know I'm going to go to heaven when this life is over. And he may need to say, Lord, I've sinned against you and the people around me, they've sinned against you as well. And then maybe you need to receive his amazing forgiveness in Christ. You can't buy that forgiveness. You can't earn it. It's a gift of God to you through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. And then today in in this worship center and those who are watching, what about just surrendering your all and saying, Lord, here I am, you send me. God, I don't know all that that means. and I can't see next week or even tomorrow, but I'm going to trust you because I know you're going to provide. Here I am, you send me. College campuses, workplaces, mission field, ministry. God, I'm just saying, here I am, you send me. Let me be your witness, your mouthpiece. Let me serve you. God, here I am, send me. And it's possible because of his amazing grace. So Lord Jesus, today in this invitation, we just want to take a moment. We're not pressuring people, manipulating people, Lord. We're just asking for the Holy Spirit to convict people. And Father, we're praying for for kids and students and adults to say, I'm being convicted by the Holy Spirit. I need a relationship with him. I need to surrender to him. And for all of us just to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Not not someone else, Lord, me. Because I want to obey you. And I do so because of your amazing grace. And Father, we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.